So how have you been, Laura? Oh, boy. How have I been? Real, 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 real busy. That's how I've been. How about you? Uh, same, same. Uh, work's been busy, everything like that. Of course, that's what the uh, listeners want to hear about. Um, I guess we should cover <laughs> up top. Uh, this is going to be the last episode for a little while while we retool the format of this podcast. So uh, Come Back a Star has been going on for almost a year now. We have. Wow. Oh, time flies. I know we're we're closing in on on episode 52. uh, So that means we're getting close to a year. And uh, just due to life stuff and things like that, we might be changing things up, like having different hosts and uh, also be here. Laura might be in and out uh, because of, again, again, life stuff. Um, I know. Right. And uh, apparently she just doesn't want to waste her entire life on Earth uh, looking at things like Cavalcade. So. I, I don't know what that's all about. Oh, no, no, I I'm certainly not above it. Um, it's just it's it's been a year for everyone. Let's just put it that way. And uh, yeah, the old uh, gas tank is uh, running on empty right now. And uh, so unless you just want to hear me go <laughs> through every episode as I try to remember how to talk, it's probably best to take a step back and let some some other talent take a take a take a crack at at such fair as Cavalcade and uh, in old Arizona and Trader Horn. But I definitely want to be back for the good ones. That's how I operate. <laughs> Uh, understandable, understandable. It's a, it's a big project for sure. And at least for now, I a great captain. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Uh, I, at least for now, I'm going to be sticking through it and I am ready to continue taking on this 11 years plus task (laughs) for, for, I mean, that's just going to keep coming too. the Oscars never stop. That's true. That's true. At some point I am assuming about, I calculated it out once and I can't remember what I landed on. It's more than 11 years. At some point, I'm assuming it's just going to be a bit much and then we'll run out of episodes and I'll maybe do a special or something like that when the Academy Awards pop up again. But absolutely. All right. So that's kind of the housekeeping out of the way. Next episode could possibly involve a very special guest that we have mentioned on the show before being a couple of times. Yeah. Laura's dad. Yeah. (laughs) My father-in-law. He has a great radio voice. So yeah, I was just about to say that he's got the perfect voice for it. So uh, look forward to that and uh, don't shed too many tears for Laura because she'll be fine and she'll be back. I'll be plugging along. I'll be listening. That's for sure. Okay. And so with that out of the way, hello, everyone. I'm Jason. I am Laura. And welcome to Come Back a Star, a movie award um, final countdown. Okay. Now, do we have the rights to the final countdown? Because I really think that. Oh, okay. That, that's enough. That's enough. Okay. Okay. I think I think we can sing that phrase because that could belong to any song, really. It could. I'm not very 
very, I'm kind of tone deaf, so no one can really tell what I was doing. <laughs> so look up on YouTube, Final Countdown, listener, and then just have that playing in your mind. Please do. We are rating and reviewing every Best Picture winner and nominee from 1927 onwards, and this is episode number 047, the 1932 through 1933 Roundup. And this includes our uh, our picture that has the title of our show in it. So the comp- competition is going to be pretty intense, I think. It is. It is. Yeah. I mean, I've been going back and forth, back and forth between a couple. Um, Same. So I, yeah, I'm still not 110 percent, but I think I know what I'm going to pick. You think so? I, I think. who knows? I might change my mind. <laughs> Yeah, I am all over the place. Uh, gosh, there, there were so many good ones this season, and yes, but none that just completely obliterated everything else. Um, no, yeah, all- it's like the good ones were all in the same caliber, really. Right, exactly. And there, there was no all quiet on the Western front or something like that. That just had so much, yeah, so much weight behind it. Yeah. So, uh, that all said, we have several not nominated, uh, movies to cover at first. What we're going to do here, nearly as many as you would have think with the amount of movies we were doing this year, which speaks to the rising quality of movies at this time period. Yeah, that's true. That's true. We, have nominated quite a few of these actually we so 1932 through 33 congratulations you get a 60 percent i think let's see Woo-hoo. one two three yep a 60 six out of ten so you barely pass <laughs> you did oh it's math class all over again for me every math class i ever took and we have entered the era, of course, of the 10 movie nominations, which is entirely uh, too much. And too many. Be brutal. Come on. I know. I know. And I think they've just brought that back again. Uh, yeah. it, it should be five. I'm sorry. There's yeah. there's only so many tippity top movies. I understand and that it sells exactly. more. It sells more. But, uh, you know, you got to be picky. You got to have the integrity. And, you know. Your audience needs to go to bed at some point. Come on. This is true. Okay, so let's start off on the movies that we did not nominate. What we're going to do here is just kind of give a very, very brief uh, snippet summary of what the movie was about and a little bit of what we liked and disliked about it. And at the very end, we are going to vote on who will win the Notsker Award, a movie award podcast movie award for movies. So, starting off, our not noms is State Fair, a charming but sometimes plotting outing to a State Fair. Oh, gasp. (laughs) I had low expectations for this movie, and while it did uh, outperform those uh, expectations, it still did not merit a Notsker Award. We were very cruel in... uh, yeah, I kind of show. regret it now, but then again, looking at the best movies of this year, it still probably doesn't quite line up. True, it wasn't awful. Uh, no, Janet, not at all. Janet Gaynor is charming as always as the starry-eyed heroine, and Will Rogers brings a likable laziness to his pig-rearing patriarch. But we skipped giving this our nomination. 
and it had some pretty spicy pre-code romance in there too so you know it was it was an interesting movie for sure oh definitely but i think certain things were we're starting to see the Hayes code start to creep in a little bit and mute things a little bit and make things Mm -hmm. a little bit less punchy i guess than would be hoped and I think I that, yeah, State Fair was the first one we watched, I think. And it was the first one where we realized that was going to be happening in this year. Mm-hmm. I mean, they still, like you said, snuck in a lot of spice regardless, but it could have been a little more explicit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you feel like the State Fair was wronged and robbed, I 100% understand, and don't worry, State Fair lives on in not one, but two musical remakes from the 1940s and 1960s. Yeah, so go watch Anne Margaret belt her heart out and try to imagine uh, Janet Gaynor doing that. Have a good old time. All right, so our next one is Smiling Through, which likewise does not get a nom from us, being (laughs) a little too syrupy and melodramatic, wouldn't you say? This is the one that I said was very mystery science theater worthy it was it really was it was so over the top and goofy i i mean it seemed like a parody of itself the minute superimposed norma Shearer ghost appears you just know oh this is gonna be a hard one right it was engaging enough i guess i suppose but it it was incredibly silly Leslie Howard gives a fine performance as John Carteret, an aging aristocrat who broods over his lost love, Moon Ying. Yes, her name is actually Moon Ying. Norma Shearer plays both Moon Ying, uh, the ghost of Moon Ying, and her orphaned niece, Kathleen, that Carteret takes in after her parents' death. Convenient. Frederick March is very convenient. Oh, my God. That could have been a whole new subplot, Carteret orchestrating a murder so he could get hold of a little piece of Moon Yin. Get on that uh, fanfic script, Jason. Oh, I will. Absolutely. Frederick March is her American suitor, who turns out, big spoilers, to be the son of the man responsible for Moon Yin's death. Meanwhile, World War I is happening in the background. This movie tries to be a sprawling epic, but its hokiness has not aged well. Like, nobody really seems like a real person. I mean, Frederick March and Leslie Howard give their best. Uh, Norma Shearer is just kind of stagey and unbelievable, as she always is. It just does not really rise to the level of at least, not even fun, bad. Yeah, it, mm, mm, it's, is just very, very silly is the word that I have to use for it over and over again. It, it takes itself very seriously, which I guess is good if it were trying to be a comedy. Yes. But instead, it's just very sincere and and syrupy, as you put it. I just can't believe anything like this was made in like the sassy 30s, but I guess it was. All right. But so was Cavalcade. Um, so think about that. That was think also popular. That. That was huge, and it's time. Did not age well. No, it did not. And uh, speaking of actually aging pretty well, uh, She Done Him Wrong is a much-needed burst of energy. 
Mae West in her film debut dominates the screen. Fatal to every man she meets except for that new uh, up-and-coming Cary Grant. West is clearly (laughs) the star. However, there's no denying the paper-thin plot. Something about her boss-slash-lover owing someone money and some former lover escaping prison and something. Yeah. And while we agree that it's a lot of fun, it's not really a great movie. Luckily, Wes is there to distract us. And I also looked it up and I believe this might have been the number two movie in terms of ticket sales for, so funny. for the year. That's so funny. than this. That's, uh, it couldn't get to different movies tonally. Like, I mean, they're both set really around the same time, but she done them wrong. It's just such, got so much more energy. It is so much more modern that it's a lot more likable. But again, I wouldn't say it's, Oscar worthy, uh, but I'm glad it exists, man. Yeah, I am too. And, you know, not everything that we don't give a Oscar to is a horrible movie. A lot of them are. Oh, not at all. But uh, some of them, <laughs> some of them are she done them wrong, which is yeah. charming enough. And I think uh, it was only outdone by king kong that year which again that's funny yeah that kind of kind of speaks to how people were ready for escapism and i can imagine absolutely all right well lastly we have the actual academy award winner of the year uh noel coward's cavalcade it is not the best example of Coward's work. I just feel like, I, I'm not overly familiar with Coward's work, but I feel comfortable saying that. Yeah, he's well known like for, his name is known, to me at least, and mm-hmm. it cannot possibly be for this. Absolutely not. This was very popular in its day, but seeing as this was like the first time I'd ever heard of it, I guess it's like the least seen of all the best picture winners. And you can see why. It was a struggle to get through it. Way too long. Way too boring. Monarchist and nostalgic to a fault, this sprawling British epic follows the lives of the aristocratic Marriott family from the days of the Boer Wars of the early 20th century to the present, i.e. 1932, a decadent, horrible age where people are free with their sexuality and and, and, uh, have parties with other races. It's just disgraceful, except it looks like so much fun. (laughs) Uh, Well, I heard from a newspaper article that vice orgies are on the rise or increasing, according to this movie. Thank God. I mean, get us out of the straight-laced nonsense and into some vice orgies, please. (laughs) <laughs> we also follow the fates of their household staff who fare quite differently from the privileged set a cameo from the rms titanic can't even boy this turkey like make it float like titanic nice nice yeah, yeah it does not try very hard to be subtle uh at all is basically mm-hmm. everything in the 20th century so far has been awful and to be fair it kind of had been world war one happened and then there was the whole great depression. So I kind of understand where people would be coming from coming to see this movie. And the point of view is all wrong in this movie. Yeah. It's uh, the wrong takeaway from the 
perils of the early 20th century and also mixed in with this kind of weird, well, before this, nothing bad ever happened because Queen Victoria yes. was alive. And oh, God. it, I don't know. I don't know, man. Uh, it's not, it's not great. Not age well at all. Way too long. Way too long, Jason. Okay, so that wraps it up for the not nominated movies that we watched uh, overall. Trying, but it, exactly. So we have, it seems like two that were okay, State Fair and She Done Him Wrong weren't bad. And then we have no. Cavalcade and Smiling Through. Smiling Through, which I don't know, maybe I have a screw loose or something like that. I still think it's funny, but maybe I'm just a uh, addicted to punishment but at this point maybe i don't know i mean i do think it's probably slightly more entertaining than cavalcade at least yes definitely it most definitely was there's nothing silly about cavalcade it is just mm-hmm. terrible no we could have used some silliness it really could have but we have six nominated movies this season And Mm -hmm. that's right. Luckily, we have a lot of movies that we liked and nominated. So let's move on to them. First, we have the satirical Private Life of Henry VIII, starring Charles Lawson in a tour de force performance as the king, which won him the actual Oscar. So I'm not going to complain about it. And as we mentioned in the episode, if there were an award for person obviously enjoying their role as much as possible. <laughs> Charles Lawton would definitely win that award. It, it just yep, the, he'd win too. Just eating so many uh, chicken legs and and just being overall kind of gross and it was just fantastic. And also a lot of tossing of food over one's shoulder. Oh yeah. Well, what, what else would you want out of this time period? This uh, fast-paced comical look at the profligate ruler's life, seducing and feasting accomplishes what attempted epics like Smiling Through and Cavalcade can't. The audience has fun. It's like what a yeah, what a novel concept that someone could have fun watching like a historical period piece, but you can. Private Life of Henry VIII proves it. Yeah, especially since it has a rather grim uh, subject. To, to yeah. subject of study here it's it's uh, not a, a happy rule died. a lot of women died but somehow it, it seems to be able to make this funny and enjoyable and in a weird way you kind of find Henry Eighth this likable monster just because he's so yeah. amusing and a lot of it has to do with the tone of the movie and Lawton's performance. If it were like a straight adaptation of Henry VIII's life, he would definitely be too disgusting for us to even like love hate. We would just hate him. So there's a fine balancing act here and they achieve it. So I think that more than anything is what made me give it the nom. Yeah. Morally repellent man, which you can learn more about on the Rex Factor podcast if you so choose for the actual yeah, is- for the historical outlook on this, it's uh, it's not it's not a it's not an inaccurate portrayal, but it is not a terribly accurate portrayal either. <laughs> I mean, I feel like it has a little bit of 
everything for everybody. It's got, you mm-hmm. know, some historical moments noted, but also it just has loose fun with it too. Cause really who cares that much if Henry VIII's life is so carefully documented for the screen. He didn't really respect much of the people in his life. So why should we give him that much respect? Come on. Right. They sacrificed historical accuracy for fun and I am here for it. I am here for it indeed. Our last period piece of the year is George Cukor's adaptation of Louisa May Alcott's beloved Little Women. You won't find a more dazzlingly perfect Joe than Catherine Hepburn. Although unfortunately stagey at times, Hepburn and Cukor's pacing earned us a very fond Notskerdam. It's it's a good one. I have a hard time really coming up with too much to say against it, aside from the fact that, yeah, it is kind of stagey. But when you think about it, the source material is a novel and a serialized novel, which they did a really Mm -hmm. good job of cutting down. I agree. Yeah. And they're still getting all the important character beats. I think that's really difficult to do. And just coming from a novel to the screen it's a little bit easy to maybe come off as too stagey or not stagey enough almost. So I, and I feel like it really hit like a specific tone that really made you feel like you were watching the novel on screen. I agree. And that has so much to do with like the chemistry of the sisters. Like every sister was perfectly cast, not just Catherine Hepburn. Uh, Joan Bennett as Amy in particular is great too. Uh, yeah, no, it just leaves you with a, with a warm, good feeling, much like the book does. Exactly. Exactly. And let's see. So it little women was a strong contender for me for a while for, for the overall Notsker. Uh, just because it did seem to just work so tightly together. And I have to admit, it is still in the running for me. Okay. I mean, see another period piece where you actually have fun. See how that can help. All right. Up next, we have Lady for a Day by Frank Capra. It is a lively and smart from uh, it is lively and smart from the get go and is able to transition smoothly from wisecracks to heartbreak. At the center of the movie, until she is unfortunately pushed aside by the narrative and completely forgotten, is Mae Robson's terrific performance as a sassy apple peddler named Apple Annie. She is desperate uh, that her illegitimate daughter, raised in a Spanish convent, not find out her mother is poor and unwed. Stepping in to help is gangster Dave the Dude. The Dude. Played by Warren William. So Dave, the dude relies on mother's apples, uh, that being Apple Annie's apples as good luck charms before betting. And by betting, we mean like basically any business dealings. He wants to have an apple from Apple Annie and he hires her a florid pull shark as a husband when uh, this is when the illegitimate daughter is coming over to visit by surprise and is bringing a fiance in tow so uh apple annie has to kind of conjure up a a husband and a swanky life pretty darn quick that's when dave the dude yeah dave the dude steps in and finds her a bull shark as the husband played by guy kibbe and he also convinces his friend to lend them his swanky flat because of course that's just conveniently there 
However, yeah, he's on my vacation in Europe. The friend we never even see him. Now, here's another problem. The illegitimate daughter is engaged to a I think it's a count's son, a duke's son, some some nobility. Uh-huh. And so the problem is that now they have the society papers to worry about. If this noble person uh, shows up on the harbor and is here on some social business, they'll want to know who he's visiting and uh, who he's engaged to and the family and et cetera, et cetera. So Dave, the dude has to arrange the, let's say, disappearance of certain society columnists. And unfortunately, the police are on as dark as it sounds. It's still pretty dark. It's kind of dark, but it's also humorous because they just kind of bubble them off into a car and uh, take them away somewhere. They don't kill them. I I made it sound like maybe Mm -hmm. they got murdered, but no, they're just held somewhere convenient. Against their will, which is probably way more terrifying in a lot of ways. But it's a comedy. Relax. Yeah, I think. We said this while we were uh, explaining the movie that there's a lot of hand waving to kind of explain away the plot holes in this. And And there are plenty. It's a Swiss cheese of a plot. It is, but it's so fun is the thing. It is so fun. It is so fun that you kind of excuse the hand waving that happens. Uh, (laughs) The police are onto the dude and the suspense grows around whether or not they'll be able to pull things off in the end. Will they be able to dupe this count or duke? I can't remember which. And, you know, secure the marriage between Apple Annie's humble daughter and this this fancy pants uh, noble guy. And those two also seem, you know, very in love. That's charming little relationship that they have there. They don't get into it much, but uh, you're you're rooting for them. Yeah, you kind of root for everybody in this movie. It's it's just nice. It was maybe the most well-made and energetic of the movies we've seen. The plot is a little bit unbelievable at times, which is its biggest pitfall, I think. Bill, this is the one of the ones I'm going back and forth on. I oh, have really? to say, I mean, well, you know, we saw so like a few others after this that I almost kind of forgot about. But then when I was writing it up, I'm like, this really was really charming and really well made and and just a very nice, like fun movie. And like, but not just fun and nice. It also was just really, really good too. But you know, the plot is its biggest downfall. So it really depends on how much you can kind of just ignore that and go forward with it. It's just neat. It's just neat. Yeah. I just think it's neat. Yeah, it's nice. It leaves you with, it leaves you feeling good and not so much like you've been cheated or anything like that. It's, it leaves you, um, I don't know. Feeling happy. It doesn't ignore the depression. The depression is a very big plot, but yet it doesn't depress you. And I think that is a real talent and something that was probably desperately needed for people at that time. So that's off to Capra. Starkly different in tone is I am a fugitive from a chain gang. Really? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like uh, you want to, you know, you don't want to be depressed. Don't come. Don't watch this one. Uh, we follow the somewhat true story of James Allen, played by Paul Mooney, returning from the war, World War I, of course. Through a series of misadventures trying to get employment in construction, he ends up in the titular chain gang for armed robbery, which he is innocent of. That's that's the one 
the one cheaping out moments is I that do, yeah. He is the not actually this is based on did commit armed robbery, I think. But again, you could have portrayed that sympathetically. We are in the deep of the well, I guess this wasn't set during the depression, but it was still hard for a vet to find work. So you could have played that up, but instead, yeah, cheap out. I, I, I'm not a big fan of that. Yeah. And it also kind of speaks to the fact that it tends to be, I mean, Hollywood has this idea about itself that it's incredibly progressive and, mm-hmm. you know, is changing the world every day. And this movie actually did. Uh, it did change the world. Yeah. It did really turn people against the idea of a chain gang but it didn't change the people's idea that every possible crime is worthy of just torture and death uh Uh it took them making this character innocent for them to really realize how awful this chain gang thing is because still in our society and and i'm gonna get on my soapbox for a moment here we do have this mentality of like, well, he shouldn't have robbed that place. Ergo, it's perfectly, you know, he has to accept the fact that he's going to be tortured and killed slowly in a chain yeah. gang. Yeah. I mean, do innocent people get railroaded? Yes. But I think it's important to show that I don't think any crime is really deserves this kind of hell on earth. It really is hell on earth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's and and soapbox. That's my my little thing. They didn't challenge us on that front, but they challenged. No, they didn't. They challenged us on a whole lot of other things. So we do. It does get a debate going. But we get not only one, but two daring escape scenes. And that, along with Moody's performance, makes this a chilling, impactful movie. It ends on an unsettling, inconclusive note. And I can't think of another old studio movie that would have dared to do this. For this and many other reasons, like you expounded upon, it's social reform, uh, is why we grace it with a nom. Yeah, the performance from Mooney is just incredible. It's very devastating. It's so good. And he is sadly forgotten these days. He was like the Daniel Day Lewis of the 30s, and not a lot of people remember him. He's the original Scarface. Come on. Yeah, he. Wow. Especially that last scene, which I would say this movie is worth watching for that very last scene. I agree. It's it's bone chilling. And it's like he becomes a zombie before our eyes at the end. Like just there's he looks just dead, just dead in the eyes. And it, it just the this it takes its toll. Any kind of life like this. Right. And they also had the. I wouldn't call it bold, but probably a move that a lot of movies wouldn't have taken at that time of having a, first of all, a talking role for a actor of color. And also this character is quite heroic, Mm -hmm. too, which I thought was interesting and appreciative. It could have been nice to have, you know, just a person of color just be a person. but. This did try to challenge people on thinking that, you know, this is happening to everyone and it includes people of color, too. And they're all wronged. Every single last one of these people are are being treated awfully and no one is exempt. 
And I like that he's not made it to like a deified kind of Uncle Tom character. He has the agency of being like not unrealistically say we're like, okay, I, I will help you out here, but I don't want to get caught. Mm-hmm. But he does, and it's like just they don't condescend to his character at all. They let him just be a person helping out another person. And it's disgusting that it's so rare back then to see that on film. Mm-hmm. Right. Good all movie. Right. Yeah. So and we might chalk up some of those uh, less than bold moves from I'm a Fugitive from a Chain Gang to censorship, which kind of brings up our next movie, A Farewell to Arms, which is unhappily marred by censorship. It nonetheless gets a nom from us as well. This is the one which I am sure you're tired of hearing this, Laura, but the listeners haven't heard it yet. I feel... I feel a farewell to arms would have won this handily if it had not been for the censorship. Because uh, yeah. when it's good and firing on all cylinders, the movie is uh it's it's a masterful, I think. And it has some really great moments, some really great challenging moments that really challenge us on what we think of as romance and it's unfortunate that the studios wanted it to be read as a plain romance and therefore completely defang anything going on yeah and the director is uh was it franz Berlage? uh i think it was yeah yeah he he's one that you can trust and i feel like he was held back on this because you can see yeah, it really feels cut up by the editors. You can see force. his touch. Yeah. Yeah. He can see his touches and the way that he is moving this uh, story by Hemingway around to present probably what was a lot closer to what Hemingway intended. Yeah. But. Oh, well, c'est la vie. Instead, we get this kind of butchered version. Yeah, it's a shame. You can see why Hemingway was mad. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Uh, It features Gary Cooper and Helen Hayes as they fall madly in love, quote unquote, or in lust, or I don't even know, while working as insanity, mutual insanity during the war is a good way of putting it. They are working as an officer and a nurse during, you guessed it, World War One and World War One is kind of the backdrop of this insanity. But a lot of the movies in this era, like mm-hmm. this is like the third, the fourth of the series that has World War One as maybe not the ultimate plot throughout, but definitely the backdrop. Right. Front and center here. Front and center here. Right. We sense tragedy coming for the couple, uh, p- partly because I really do feel like it's modeled after Romeo and Juliet. Uh, so we do sense tragedy coming. But what makes it so difficult to watch is the gut-wrenching performances from both Hayes and Cooper. They're However, yeah, but thanks to the censors excising a great deal of footage, the movie does come off as strangely unfinished and weird. We. Yeah. Uh, it it was so close. I want to gather up that footage that was cut and restore this so badly because oh, there are so many oh, great shots. The. The shot where he's wheeled in on a stretcher and is just looking up at the the doctors and nurses and you see the ceiling of this 
uh, I believe it's a church converted into a hospital. Such a it's in Italy, at least it's supposed to be. And so it's like these really high arch dome ceilings. And so it gives us really unreal touch that just is so surreal. I love it. It's it's great. And again, I'm so angry that we didn't get the proper justice that this movie deserved. I agree. And finishing up our noms is musical extravaganza 42nd Street. The granddaddy of every backstage drama to come, 42nd Street follows the highs and lows involved in putting on a big Broadway spectacle during the Depression. At the helm of this particular show is a director constantly on the verge of a mental breakdown, uh, played by Warner Baxter, much better here than in Brownface in Arizona. And a leading lady entangled with a rich old creep and her former dance uh, lover dance partner and a wide-eyed ingenue played by Ruby Keeler. Throughout is some of the wittiest dialogue we've had yet, and most of it, I am happy to say, comes out of women. The parade of wisecracking chorus girls, Ginger Rogers included in the rates, elevates this movie to a higher level than mere backstage melodrama. Yeah, it's... uh... It's definitely a good one. It's I don't know. You would see you would think that a movie about something that seems so frivolous would not pull you the way that it does necessarily. Right. But we really get into these theater kids is drama in mm-hmm. in a big in a big way, in a way that feels important and you're you're really involved with the characters and Part of that is definitely the fantastic acting jobs of everyone involved and really making people feel like they're included. The audience feels I I would say that the audience definitely feels included in this movie. Yes, yes. I mean, a part of that has to do with the uh, uh, unrealistic aspect of them kind of filming the stage scenes like in a way that no audience in the theater would be able to see on a stage, <laughs> but that does bring you in better than if they were just filming a staged play. So yeah, like this movie dips in and out of that kind of surrealism with like real kind of just kind of like accomplishes what lady for a day does of like, including the depression very much into the plot, but not leaving you depressed. Mm-hmm. It leaves you charged. And it's, I just, I don't know. This movie just really got its hooks in me. I love it. Mm-hmm. And it is also the source of come back a star because you got to yeah. go out, going out there a youngster. But you've got to come back a star. Because everyone's depending on you. Uh, I will tap dance my way to a triumph. You'll see. Who, me? Who, me? Oh, <laughs> Ruby. Ruby. Oh, gosh, I love them wide-eyed ingenues. They're so helpless. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And... Uh, so that wraps up all of our movies for 1932 through 33. And yeah, now we have to make the decision. I've been kind of trying to delay this. Yeah, I know. How are we going to do this? Because we're not like in the same place. What we can do is we'll use we'll use the chat. The chat feature. OK, OK. And we'll Let's type out one, right. two, three. Before we go, though. Uh, may I know which which two you've had in mind? I'll let you I'll let you know mine. I've had three, actually. OK, well, it used to be before I really took Lady for a Day into it. I was thinking 42nd Street and I am a fugitive from a chain gay. 
then I remember Lady for a Day. And I'm like, oh, that's so good. So it's it's those three that are kind of jangling around in my brain. How about you? Uh, hmm. Oh, now I don't want to say that because I don't want us to like just gravitate. But I definitely have some overlaps there. Private Life of Henry VIII is such a fantastic movie. It's, That's true. It's such a solid comedy and you have a heart. Like, I can't really think of anything that's bad about it. It's it's, it's just true. fun. And it I is think just fun. I think probably the biggest strike against it might be that it's just not of what we would think of as a Academy Award Best Picture winner. That is to I say mean, a comedy. It does subvert so many of the cliches that the Academy is known for in in when it selects its period films. I mean, it's not grandiose. It's not uh, sentimental. It's not any of that. I do love it for that. Um, But yeah, maybe it's because our brains are so in tune to think that's what a period piece should be. It hasn't really entered my radar to like win the actual not screw, though I do love it. And Little Women was kind of what I felt I should pick for a while just because it's like it's so iconic. I mean, people still know this movie and this version of this movie and it's been remade so many times. That's partly because yeah. of the novel, but uh Catherine Hepburn just really, really takes it home with this one. She owns the role and it might be her like best role when you think about it. I mean, she's has great roles to come, like in Philadelphia story and uh, bringing up baby. But I feel like this one is just so perfectly tailored to her. And it's just, uh, it is, you gush over it. Oh my gosh. Yeah. If any of the ones we've nominated, I would not feel like it would be a cheat for them to win, but right. I think I know which one I'm going to go with. I think I know too. So uh, how about you just type that into the chat and then I'll count the three and we'll hit enter. Okay. You have it typed in? I do. One, two, three. Oh, my gosh. Oh, calamity. <laughs> oh, no. So now we have a debate between I am a fugitive from a chain gang uh, selected by me and 42nd Street selected by you. Wow. Now, if we were to pit main character against main character... Yours has the scrappy escapee skills and has also seen so much that they probably wouldn't mind shooting. But mine could tap dance away pretty fast. Yeah, she could tap dance around those bullets. So it's true. uh, Oh, gosh. You know, it's one thing to consider is. Would the fugitive from a chain gang, how would they do in a Broadway show? And how would Ruby do in a chain gang? Who, me? Ruby would die instantly. She would die instantly. And I'm pretty sure uh, old James Allen or Alan James would probably just go, lied, lied. So I think they both fall, fail spectacularly. Uh, in each in other's ways. But you know what? I'm, I am what lean because James Allen would probably win in a physical fight. And it is the more socially conscious movie. I am willing to give way to I am fugitive from a chain gang. Okay, so uh, that is the first time we've ever disagreed on our first ballot. Yeah. But but I think it was a quick debate. Actually, I was a little bit surprised. (laughs) I mean. And and honestly, 
it was your discussion at the very end there that kind of turned me to Fugitive from a Chain Gang. I was all over these six. Right? There's trying, so many Trying to ones. choose. Uh, and I think the one that I had pulled out as definitely not is like, okay, this one is clearly not with the rest of the pack was lady for a day until we discussed it. And then it was back in. Yeah. I was like, it was oh. back in, right? God, it's, it's such oh, a, it's so hard. Yeah. This was a, a year of some really, really solid choices. Let's just panic and give it to cavalcade. Like the Academy probably did. <laughs> just panicked and let's give it to the worst. Ugh. Because I really do think the the actual winner was the worst. I don't think that's happened before. I've that's... had movies I've hated that we've watched, like Trader Horn and I'm uh, and uh, in old Arizona, but they've never actually won the Oscar. I've been not wild about the ones that have won. This is the first one I feel like I actively just was like, close. yeah, yeah. If I had to rate these one through ten, Cavalcade would be at the bottom for sure. Yes, and... absolutely. Yeah, but a whole year, a whole year of pretty solid movies. I yeah, I mean, I would love to pop back in occasionally to sample them. Uh, but you've got an amazing road ahead of you, my friend. A real amazing road. That's right. So starting off uh, in next episode, after probably a short little break to retool everything. We are going to be starting up our 1934 Oscar season. It will be starting off uh, again. What we usually do is go in reverse alphabetical order for some reason. I've just I think decided that's how Wikipedia lists them. Yeah, yeah, that's that's how it is. And we will be skipping actually White Parade, which was not a, about a parade of white people. It was a oh, yeah, I know I was a little bit worried when I first read that title. It was about nurses. So the white parade is the the white outfits uh, for these nurses that were in the movie. Unfortunately, that movie is not available. It does not exist. So and I think that's our last non extant uh, film that we have to deal with. I think people started exciting at least. Yeah. And it could be something like there's one copy in existence at UCLA or something like that. Right. But unfortunately, we will not be able to see that movie. So we're going to skip right to. uh, Viva Via! Exclamation point. Which is about Pancho Villa as portrayed by Wallace Beery, who we have seen in several other movies. He's good in those other movies, uh, but this would this would be he's not Mexican. Yeah, this would be brownface. No, and, and and he did. We saw him last in Grand Hotel, and he did not master a German accent very well. So I'm not too optimistic about him handling a Mexican one any better. Yeah, unfortunately. So tune into that one. Uh, it might be kind of a train wreck. And yeah, but that's one of the most fun, right? That's People sh- love looking at train wrecks. That's true. Uh, your sister, my wife, skipped all of our episodes recently and went directly to cavalcade because <laughs> because she heard it was bad <laughs> oh that's beautiful yeah it's, it was pretty funny i overheard it's like oh she's actually listening to our show and catching up and it's like no she's starting off with cavalcade okay cavalcade, <laughs> right uh the anger feels her i get it 
well, 1932 to 33, you've been good. Let's see how 1934 fares. Uh, let's see if there's anything to talk about before we close off. Uh, let's see. You can find us on Twitter at Comeback a Star. You can find us on the Facebook. If you search Comeback a Star in the search bar, I'm sure that you'll find us. And you can also email us at comebackastarpodcast at gmail.com. We do occasionally get emails, which I'm always shocked and pleased by. If you Ooh, have, yes, en- please, please yeah, and if you have enjoyed this uh, podcast, then you should share it with your friends, uh, especially those those movie buffs in in your life. And if you have hated this podcast, or if you have loved it, or if you feel in between about it, either way, share a iTunes review. It's a good way to promote the podcast and and let some other people know about it without having to actually know or talk to them. So yes. My always my favorite route. <laughs> okay, everyone. Uh, with all of that out of the way, I'm going to turn off this projector and draw the curtains. And any last words, Laura, for now? Uh, come back a star, babies. You can do it. Come back a star. All right. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye-bye.